Luke. We could create a whole world in the mind of the listener simply by using sound effects. Ron Wolfley. Thud, 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 thud. <laughs> Boomerang. Boom. Luke Lipinski. Huh. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. A lot going on, Wolf, to the point where I feel like we have just scratched the surface on quite a few topics, honestly. There really is. I mean, just the Arizona Cardinals alone, I could not believe the stories that were breaking over the weekend. Bits of information that were really, really good coming down. Uh, and then the Suns, of course, are, are going to quickly become the biggest story in the NBA here at some point later this week or this weekend. We are assuming slash fingers crossed that Kevin Durant is in the lineup on Friday night. If not, they play Milwaukee on Sunday. Um, you know, as far as their position in the standings, it's not like, oh, they have to have Kevin Durant back or they're not going to be able to win games. They What are they, 11-4 and four in their last 15? They're doing okay, right? Luke. But they got to get Durant out there just to get everybody out there playing together and see how this works. And you've got 20 two games left before the playoffs begin. Obviously, you make that trade a week and a half ago. It is not to be a fun team. It's to win the title. So you, you got to <laughs> give yourself every chance you possibly can. Um, interesting story, too, up on, uh, on, on ArizonaSports.com right now. I'm going to play a quote from Kevin Durant for you. This is from All-Star Weekend talking about Chris Paul and how Chris Paul is already kind of helping him feel like he's a member of the Suns. Enthusiasm for the game. I think that goes underrated. CP really loves ball. You know, he's just like watching the game, like analyzing, um, like going through strategy and stuff. So I've been in a, uh, been a week there now, a couple practices, a few games, and he always pulling me to the side and we just talking hoop, you know. So I love that about him. And, um, you know, he's, you know, but obviously on the floor, he can create so much for his teammates and for himself. Is only going to help us. I don't know Kevin Durant, but my impression of him throughout his entire time in the league, and just you know, hearing some some of the longer interviews with him, and just seeing how he carries himself. That how he just described Chris Paul is how he would want people to describe him. I think yeah. of just enthusiasm for the game. We've heard that from a lot of people. Just wants to talk basketball and play basketball. You know, that's the first I actually heard this cut. I've read this cut many times, of course, over the weekend, but that is the first where I've actually heard him say this. And um, I'm blown away because it's legend on legend right now saying that. And just to hear the sincerity and the matter-of-fact way in which he said it, you know, that to me, it's the truth. It's one of the reasons why we're all jacked up here and all fired up. It's the expectation of seeing Kevin Durant. Rant and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton out on the floor with Chris Paul, CP3. I, I, it's the expectation that is there, and to hear KD speak so matter-of-factly on it and why, why he's excited and what he thinks is going to be the dynamic of playing with Chris Paul, it just... To me, it, it's it's still it it solidifies everything that we've believed could be a possibility with the Suns going forward. Now they just have to do it, get on the floor, get on the court, and start wrapping it out. Yeah, I made this comment over the weekend, and it was only half half jokingly. You're looking at a roster with Kevin Durant and Chris Paul, okay, two established Olympians. And you got Devin Booker has played for Team USA, right? It feels like an Olympic team. I had a couple of people like, oh, they wouldn't win the gold medal. 
Okay, that's not really the point. You're talking about an NBA team that has an Olympian and then another Olympian and then another Olympian. And you've also got DeAndre Ayton, who I get that he's not an Olympian, but he's still... Athletically might be the most talented dude on the floor, okay? I'm just telling you right now. Potential still through the roof, (laughs) untapped. Um I don't know. Kevin Durant's one of the best, most talented yeah, players I've ever seen. How old is Kevin Durant right now? I, I'm just talking about you. you DeAndre Ayton is seven foot tall, Basinonians, with a 40 inch vertical. Kevin Durant's almost seven feet tall. I know they list him at 6'10". I, I realize 10, that, but, but he's not, he doesn't move. I, I, I don't see KD move but like he once did. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter because the Suns have that's, all of these guys. exactly <laughs> have, right. It's, it is kind of absurd. I, I'm talking about from a raw athletic perspective. DeAndre Ayton has got everything you could possibly want to be this dominant dude, including a little mid-range touch. He's got it. So however you want to look at this team now, you can look and, you know, we're talking about Chris Paul and Kevin Durant having conversations at practice already. And these two know each other for a while. And I'm sure Chris Paul was a big part of why Kevin Durant wanted to come here. We know it was Booker. I'm sure Chris Paul was a big part of it, which is why it's still so crazy to me that his name was leaked in any sort of trade rumor for Kyrie. But whatever, it doesn't matter anymore. You can sit here and talk about Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. That's enough to do a show on all week. Oh, but they also have DeAndre Ayton. Well, they also have Devin Booker, who we yeah. haven't even mentioned in this conversation. Yeah, right. And it's his team. Yeah, the inside, the outside, and a legend in Chris Paul to actually distribute the ball. Mm-hmm. This, it, it does. It has all the makings of, can't wait to see it. Can't wait, Bart Scott. Can't wait to see it. Can we see it? Will we see it? Is it going to be Friday? Is that what it's going to be? It's going to be Friday right there? And what do they got? They've got 23 games. Is that is that it? 23 hope, games to get this thing together? I hope it's Friday because the next four games after that, and it, look, it doesn't matter if they need one more game, whatever, Kevin Durant can't come back to the Charlotte game next Wednesday or something. Obviously, they're going to do what's right for Kevin Durant and having him for the rest of the season in the playoffs rather than bring him back for two games and then have to sit him out again. Uh, but they play Oklahoma City here Friday. Like you said, They've uh, ESPN's already moved that game around. Then they go on the road to Milwaukee Sunday, Charlotte next Wednesday, Chicago next Friday, and then Dallas the following Sunday, March 5th. So their next home game after that isn't until March 8th against Oklahoma City again. So chances are the first time we see him at home, it'll be against Oklahoma City. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bank on that one right there. OKC, here we go. Yeah, but it's this is the... This feels like the calm before the storm, right? Like the eye of the hurricane. Like yes. the last couple of weeks, the craziness of, of them getting involved and making the trade. And there's all this talk. And then you go to the All-Star break. And he's, he's going to be playing for the Suns here soon. This is kind of like nobody knows what to expect from the Phoenix Suns. You just There's no way to know. Yeah. You know, it just came to me, base. I don't need to. Uh-oh. Okay, can you see? <laughs> Forget I about OKC. Okay, can you see? <laughs> Kevin Durant in a Phoenix Suns uniform? Is that okay to, for us to see? Uh, that's what okay, just came to you? Can I can tell something see. just came to no, you. No, it was. It was like, okay, that's so cheeseball, Rod. It really is. But okay, can you see can you work, Kevin Durant in a son's uniform, please? Can you work KD into that, too, so you can go, okay, I, can you see KD? There's got to be something there. There's a lot there. of letters, man. All right. There's a lot of letters and a lot of capital letters. The, okay, can you see? The perils of the alphabet hitting us again on this show. It's, it's rough. Just announced Guns N' Roses are heading to Chase Field. 
on October 11th. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m., but you can win a pair now by texting ROSES to 62620. That's ROSES to 62620. Welcome to the Jungle Guns and Roses fans. When we come back, what do the Cardinals do with the third overall pick? Should they trade it or should they stay there? We're going to look at the NFL draft history and discuss with a round of Trader Stay. Next, it's Wolf and Luke in Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Trade or stay. With the third pick in the NFL draft, the Arizona Cardinals select. Wolf and Luke look at NFL draft history and decide what the Cardinals should do at number three. All right, it is time for a round of trade or stay. Wolf, it's America's uh, fastest growing game show. I don't feel like that's true, but it's going to be big late in April for the Arizona Cardinals. Are you sticking at number three where you're going to get at least Will Anderson or Jalen Carter? You probably have your pick, assuming quarterbacks go with the first two uh, selections. But so the way we're going to do this, we're going to just play draft profiles, kind of talk about some of the guys that have gone number three in the past. And then with that knowledge, with the benefit of hindsight, we can look and say, wait, would you have traded that or would you, are you happy with that pick? Yeah, right. sounds good. So you have, I'm going to give you three years to choose from. You're going to pick without knowing the name, okay? Okay, here we go. You get three years. 2017, 2019, or 2014? 2014. Let's okay. go all, all right. the way so back. This was the number three pick in the 2014 draft was Blake Bortles, quarterback, Central Florida. Here are three things you need to know about Blake Bortles. His work ethic rivals that of many successful NFL quarterbacks. In fact, you'll likely find him in the film room or weight room finely tuning his craft. He leads by example, but will also challenge his teammates if needed. Bortles is decisive and confident in his throws, keeping his cool in the pocket. However, he has struggled throwing the ball in freezing temperatures. And don't be fooled by his slow 40 time at the combine. Bortles is considered deceptively quick, especially for his size. All right, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you right now. Okay. Trade. Trade. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to stay there. No offense to Blake Bortles. He had a career. That is a re- he had a career. That is a reminder of how desperate teams. Get. He was the first quarterback off the board that year too. He was the first quarterback off the board, and a reminder that they're if Chicago takes Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, and honestly, maybe even if they make a trade and they trade out of that for a team jumps up number one, they take C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. Figure C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, whichever one isn't taken, goes second. The Cardinals still might be able to move that third pick for a lot to a, a quarterback desperate team. But if one of those first two picks isn't a quarterback and Stroud or Bryce Young are still out there on the board, you're going to get a King's Ransom for that third pick because... Teams are always desperate for quarterbacks. Blake Bortles is just one example of it. I can almost guarantee there's going to be some team, some team that is going to fall in love with a quarterback that will move up to number three, offer a king's ransom to the Arizona Cardinals at number three so they can get that quarterback. Who might that be? What team is out there right now pulling a San Francisco 49ers? Trey Lance, move up to number two. Number three, wasn't it number? No, they gave up three first-round picks to move up and draft. To me, there's going to be a team that is going to be out there that is going to be that desperate. We'll see. Saw a great stat on uh, Trey Lance. They were comparing him and Brock Purdy, and I'll see. If, I'll try and find it for you. Uh, yeah, okay, here he is. Trey Lance has um, started 21 games 
since high school in 2017. College in the pros. Since 2017, it's 2023. The guy has played 21 football games. Brock, Brock Purdy has 54 starts in that time. I know, I just feel so bad for the kid. He cannot stay healthy. Well, yeah, but but they drafted him knowing he hadn't played much in college. So again, just more evidence that teams are, are going to be willing to throw a lot at probably the Cardinals, certainly Chicago. Three first-round picks. If you're getting three first, I mean, I really like Will Anderson. <laughs> and I'm sure that Jonathan Gannon really likes Anderson and Jalen Carter. Here, let's play another one of these. You want, uh, I don't want to. Okay, give me, um, let's see. Here, here's your 20, options. 2017 or 2019. Well, it sounded like you wanted 2019. Yeah, let's do that one. Okay, 2019, great choice, right? Uh, 2019, the third overall pick was. Bill Kuyper Jr.'s player profile. When workout matches production, you have something. A 303-pounder running 4-8-3 in conjunction with all that dynamic, disruptive plays that we saw. Go back to the LSU game. He had 10 tackles, three and a half tackles for us, and two and a half sacks against the Bayou Bengals. Super active, hand usage outstanding, disengages, locates the ball, destroyed double teams, stacks, sheds, great effort, and guess what? He wants to be a complete player. He's not just interested in sacks. He wants to play the run. Tremendous work ethic. Quinnen Williams could be one of the best defensive players overall in the NFL very early in his pro career. And you can make a strong argument he was the best player in this draft. So I think that's probably the best example we've heard yet, Wolf, considering where the Cardinals are. Because Quinnen Williams, highly touted defensive player going into that draft, goes number three overall. You just heard Mel Kuyper say he might be the best defensive player in the draft, might be the best player in the draft. Um, he's been good. Had 12 sacks last year on the defensive line for the Jets. Would you trade that? Or would you, would you, would you stay there and take a player like that? Because Jalen Carter might be similar to that. Man, that is, uh, that is really, really difficult. Is this music I'm, gonna, I'm going with Williams. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay right where I am, as a matter of fact, because... There's nothing like a three technique. It's the most powerful defensive force in the football universe. As a matter of fact, I would say it's the most powerful force in the football universe, literally. is a three technique that is not only disruptive in blocking schemes during rundown situations, not only can fight off a double team, but of course can get you interior pressure consistently. And Quinnen Williams is on his way to being that player right now. Um, to back up that point, for people that don't have the 2019 draft memorized, okay? Obviously, Kyler Murray went first, Nick Bosa went second. The Jets took Quinnen Williams, okay? I don't remember the last time the Jets had a quarterback we all felt great about. That was four picks ahead of Josh Allen. So a team that needed a quarterback stuck right there and, and took a really good defensive player, and he's been really good. Like I said, he just had 12 sacks last year. That Jets defense is nasty. That's not why they struggled at the end of last year. It was their offense. But I wonder I wonder what the Jets, I mean, obviously if they knew they could get Josh Allen, that'd be a little bit different, but they also could have got Josh Rosen, or not Josh Rosen that year, but the uh, the, the way this, this played out for, for the Jets, getting Quinn and Williams, sticking with defense when there were other great defensive players out there as well. 
I don't know. It, it, do you have a preference between Jalen Carter and Will Anderson? Yes, Will Anderson. Really? Jalen Carter is, I'm a little spooked when it comes to Jalen Carter. And it's because of Robert Kandiji. It's am. not the position. It's just... No, it's just there. If there's one knock against Jalen Carter, it's sometimes he disappears when he shouldn't be disappearing. And <laughs> you know, well, I'm just saying right now that Will Anderson plays. I think if you stay at three, what you just said makes all the difference. You can't you can't draft a guy at three if you're getting good trade offers from quarterback desperate teams that might not be an impact player. Like, 100% of the time, right? I mean, you can stick there and you can take Will Anderson. You can't take a player that might not impact the game all three downs on defense. You know, once again, there are scouts out there that look at Carter and think he is all that and a bag of chips at the three technique. But I'm going with what I think is more of a sure thing at that point, and that's Will Anderson. The quarterbacks in that draft, by the way, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones... That's about it. Gardner Minshew at pick 178. Not not a great quarterback draft, depth-wise, in 2019. No. All right, let's play one more. This is from 2017. Solomon Thomas. Defensive end, Stanford. The 2016 Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year wreaked havoc on the conference all season. Thomas skyrocketed up draft boards after a campaign that included 62 tackles, 15 for loss, and 8 sacks. His versatility might allow him to play several positions along the D-line, but NFL evaluators are concerned that he might be too small to play D-tackle. Either way, Thomas has a great motor and will compete hard at the next level. NFL comp, former 49ers D-lineman, just Smith. I can play that music for you for another 35 seconds, so I'm going to go ahead and pot it down. That's pretty good right there. Solomon Thomas, Um, what are you going to do in that situation? He's, uh, I'm going trade to that. trade. Yeah, you trade that. Yeah, I'm going to trade that. That that draft, Miles Garrett, defensive player, obviously going first. Second pick was Mitchell Trubisky. That was the trade up by a, <laughs> I don't know if you want to say desperate or just out of their mind, Chicago Bears team to trade up and take Mitch Trubisky there. And uh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes went 10th. You know, it's kind of cool to actually see the 49ers swing and miss on a defensive end as well. Yeah. Like the only time they've done that in the last decade. Well defense, done. 2020 defense, eject button. Defense uh, seems fine the way it is. Anyway, that was a round of uh, Trader's Day. We'll do more of that as we get closer to the draft. But um, And I loved him coming out, too. Well, that's the thing. Solomon I mean, Thomas, I loved him. That's sort of the parallel we're trying to draw here. People, I'm sure, were talking about Solomon Thomas similarly to the way that Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are getting spoken about right now going into this draft. So you have to weigh it. And, and we only have, you know, 75% of the equation. We don't know what teams are offering the Cardinals yet because they probably haven't done it yet. But um, that's going to be something to monitor here for sure in the next month and a half, two months. like the music. <laughs> text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, the Cardinals, speaking of defense, have their defensive coordinator. So what will Nick Rallis bring to the Valley? We're going to ask Eagles Insider for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Dave Spadaro next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Wolf and Luke Middays, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All 
Hi, welcome back to the show. A lot of Jonathan Gannon talk. Uh, Nick Rallis talk. Wolf, and, and look, we've we've done our research. We've talked to people about these guys, but you know, I think our next guest could probably give us a lot more insight on these two individuals in particular, since he is a Philadelphia Eagles insider for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. He's probably pretty familiar with uh, Jonathan Gannon and company. Dave Spadaro joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Line. Dave, thank you for the time. How you doing? Good guys, my pleasure. Hope you're doing well today. Doing good. Doing great, Dave. Really appreciate your time, Dave. Sure. Let's let's start uh, let's start big picture with Jonathan Gannon. And uh, we talked to Peter King earlier in the show. He has that Football Morning in America piece out this week, and and he talked to Andy Reid. He talked to Gannon about you know, the last few plays in the Super Bowl. I'm trying to get a, a read on how good this defense was in Philly this year because I know Philly fans are upset with how the Super Bowl ended. But I'm trying to weigh that against the fact that it was also Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and this defense looked really good all year. Where did you? come out on their defense this season? I mean, it was the second-ranked defense in the league. It was led the league in sacks, led the league in pass defense, went to the Super Bowl, dominated the first half of that game. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a superstar for a reason, MVP for a reason. Andy Reid, master class in offense and pass protection. Uh, certainly the Eagles defense didn't play well in the second half of that game. I'm sure that's happened many times to Patrick Mahomes victims. So, I, I look, I, I think that the Eagles – had a really marvelous roster. I think Jonathan did an excellent job with the defense. They were suffocating. I just I love the revisionist history of of, of people and, and I, the Eagles fans in this instance. I mean, you know, they want blitz, 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 blitz. They want Jim Johnson defense, the, the late great Jim Johnson. Uh, the Eagles, you know, defensively, you don't want to blitz, right? You do not want to blitz. If you can get home with four and five, you get home with four and five. And the Eagles were able to do that. So um, I'm I'm all in on Jonathan Gannon. I thought he was a a strong presence, great leader, uh, incredibly charismatic, very smart. Uh, wish the Eagles had played better in the second half of the Super Bowl. I uh, don't think they made the adjustments that needed to be made. They got had a couple times on, in motion. Um, that happens. Um, but uh, all in all, I mean, I, I, I consider the whole body of work, and for two seasons, this defense was, was pretty darn good. This, this past season was outstanding, and the Eagles uh, were the best team in the NFC and came up three points short in the Super Bowl. So I really don't I, I don't buy the whole, you know, uh, Eagles fans upset. Eagles fans are upset because the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. A week earlier, uh, they were anointing Jonathan as uh, the second coming after the way the Eagles dominated the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, I think you're going to really enjoy Jonathan if you get the players. I mean, in the NFL, of course. It's all about the Jimmys and the Joes. Yeah, that's right, Dave. Um, listen, did you read Peter King's notes on yeah. Jonathan? So, you, okay, you're familiar with it. Did anything you read there surprise you at all? No, no, I don't. I don't know. I wasn't surprised. It, it, it's hard, you know, because uh, you come off a Super Bowl loss, you can only take so much of the analysis and the, the postmortem. So um, um, I, I thought that, look, I thought that the Eagles, I think Jonathan had, had, I think a viable reason for what he called and the Eagles did not execute. Um, they had seen that motion before and, um, you know, he blitzed, he blitzed the second time he blitzed Mahomes and Mahomes just, they just had a great call. Sometimes the other team makes a better call. Sometimes the other team deserves, uh, to score the touchdown. Sometimes the others, you know, everybody's getting paid in the league. So, um, certainly the Eagles defense, look, uh, I would have preferred seeing Hassan Reddick change his cleats to get a better grip on the, in the field and had to have a better, success rate getting to the quarterback. I thought the Chiefs played it really smart. I thought getting the football out quickly was the right way to do things. So I have no problem with what Janice, Jonathan did. I have no problem with what Peter wrote. And, I, and the, the only problem is that the Eagles lost the game. 
<laughs> yeah, he, you know, again, uh, he strikes me as an old soul. The more I hear from Jonathan Gannon, um, he strikes me as a guy that has embraced uh, the new age analytics, yet he he feels, when you listen to him, he feels like an older coach. He's only 40 years old. He seems to embrace a lot of the old traditions as well. Is that an accurate way to describe him? Uh, I didn't think of it in those terms, to be honest with you. I mean, I just think Jonathan's a butt kicker. I mean, he's a really, really impressive guy. Uh, he does believe in, in a lot of old school principles and fundamentals of the game. And I think that he'll take that uh, with him to Arizona from a, a macro standpoint. You know, you, you have to win with the little things with connecting. I mean, he's very much along those. He's a very engaging guy. He wants He's going to want those Cardinals to be all in and, and with each other and, and you know, as you know, look, it's not just about talent in the NFL. It's about creating that chemistry and that togetherness. Everybody's got to be on the same page. You, you would think the people who have never been in in it, you would think, oh, gosh, what do you mean? Everybody's in it for the, for the right reasons. Everybody's in it rowing in the right direction. Well, that's not the case at all in an NFL locker room. There's a lot of uh, really selfish motives in a locker room, and I don't think that will be – if you have players that, that, are, that are of that ilk, uh, I don't think they'll survive very long with Jonathan. He is all about – Everybody working together uh, and creating something special. Uh, he will work his players hard. May not be traditional. You may the three-hour practice days are, are over. Uh, it is about preserving bodies. Um, at times, you're going to want to you're going to want to see blitzes and great. But if you can get to the quarterback with four, five pass rushers, you do it. Um, I just thought that what Jonathan did. Look, I, I think one of the most impressive things he did back in 2021, the Eagles um, defense lost Brandon Graham. Uh, their best. I mean, they were really good in the first game against Atlanta. They were really good in the first half against San Francisco. Then they lose Brandon Graham. And they, they really had to adjust. They just didn't have the players to get to the quarterback. So they kind of played a little bit more bend but don't break. The idea, don't beat us over the top. We're going to try to take the football away from you. And the Eagles uh, allowed 18 or fewer points in 10 games, turned the season around, made the playoffs. Then really added some talent uh, at all three levels, and the result was a team that took the football away, that got to the quarterback without blitzing, and it was dominant. And so, I mean, I just, I, I again, I, I know the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, and I know that that second half, the Chiefs were really good, but boy, I, I take the whole body of work. I take, I've been around here a long time. I, I know uh, a good coach, I know a, a bad coach, I know good players and bad players. I mean, Jonathan is outstanding, and uh, the culture that he creates is going to be his first challenge and perhaps his most important challenge. And then the other part is getting in the players to perform for him. So um, I think that I, I, will, I mean, we knew the minute he walked into the building, he was going to be a head coach, and the, the hope was that the Eagles would keep him around for as long as they could. Unfortunately, he lasted two years. Talking to Dave Spadaro, Eagles insider for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Uh, Dave, what can you tell us about Nick Rallis? I mean, he is <laughs> young, but but certainly seems to be a, a rising star in this league. And I can tell you from an Arizona perspective, seeing what he was able to uh, help do with uh, with Hassan Reddick, you know, what could he potentially do with Isaiah Simmons here? Yeah, well, okay, so here's here's obviously the first question you, you, you have with Nick is, He's so young. How will he relate to players older than him? And that was obviously the question when he came in here. Um, for, at a position group with the Eagles that long has been kind of like undervalued in the sense of they don't spend first-round draft picks on linebackers. They don't really spend a lot of money on the position. Now, I will tell you that Hassan worked a lot. with. They separated the coaches here. And Jeremiah Washburn worked in the pass rush game on the edge players. So mm. he really worked a lot with 
Hassan, who also dropped back in coverage very well. Uh, and Nick, that's a Nick credit and, and set the edge very, very strong edge against the run. Tenacious player. And, um, uh, which I'm sure that Arizona Cardinal fans go, well, geez, why didn't we see that Hassan Reddick here in Arizona? Well, I mean, you just sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. And in Philadelphia, it really all clicked for Hassan. I looked at Nick and I saw a guy who made TJ Edwards. You know, an undrafted player um, who's now going to go into free agency and make a lot of money. I mean, he he turned uh, TJ into a highly productive player. Kaiser White, highly productive player at position groups that really didn't make a lot of plays in recent years for the Eagles. So Nick related well to his players at a young age, uh, very much emphasized the fundamentals. So I think that's an important part of the game and had them all on the same page mentally and intellectually. So uh, I really, you know, Nick is going to be a head coach someday. He is a rising star. You're right. He and Jonathan are joined at the hip. They will communicate the defense very well to the players. Uh, They will be coordinated. Uh, That is part of the game. You will not see the Cardinals giving up uh, big plays. You will not see the defense giving up plays over the top. Um, What they need to do is improve their pass rush. They need to stop the run. Uh, There are pieces of place in Arizona. And I think that Cardinals fans should feel really good about the combination of Jonathan and Nick together, we all kind of knew that that was going to happen. You know, you you look around the league during the season and you go, well, this team's going to need a coach. And boy, when Jonathan goes there, you know, the thought earlier was that he would go to Houston. Wherever he went, that we kind of all figured that Nick would be his defensive coordinator. So uh, good luck to both of them. I think you're going to really find that both are what you're looking for. If, again, and I cannot emphasize this enough, emphasize this enough if you get the players to support sure. what his vision is. So, Dave, I've got 10 seconds here. It's really unfair, but i got 10 seconds. I have to ask you this. Do you see Mike Zimmer walking around at all? The Philadelphia Eagles, have you ever seen him out of practice? No, a lot of Vic Fangio. Don't think I saw Mike Zimmer at all. Uh, Fangio was the consultant last year. I know they all are disciples of Mike Zimmer and hold him in <laughs> extremely high regard. Thank you, buddy. Dave, really appreciate your time. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. That's uh, Dave Spadaro, Eagles insider for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. He's basically like Philly's derb. So that was uh, good, said, right good, uh, good stuff there about Nick yes. Rallis, too. And we'll get uh, we'll get back into that in a little bit. When we come back, though, Wolf, we're going to switch gears, not just to basketball this time. We're going to switch over to baseball because the Diamondbacks are starting spring training with actual games this Saturday. And they're making one player in particular a priority with Cactus League play fast approaching. We'll explain next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, it doesn't feel like it today, but yesterday certainly felt like spring training weather. Yes. And uh, and that's fitting because the D-backs, starting with the split squad, playing Oakland and Colorado this Saturday. So it'd, be, it'd be interesting if they did split squad games just on the same field. Like Oakland came up to bat in the first, Colorado in the second, vice versa. But um, So yeah, spring training is here. Interesting story. And Derek Hall was on Newsmakers this week. Newsmakers all week long on, uh, on, on Big Clean Murata in the morning play a couple cuts uh, from that, but there was an interesting story on AZ Central that said the Diamondbacks view rookie outfielder Corbin Carroll as the centerpiece of their future, and they are basically trying to... um the exact line is the club is taking a stab at making that official, and it goes into detail about how they are trying to already get into conversations about a long-term contract, and and you know the, the plan there 
the way that works out is you're taking a little bit of risk. You're overpaying for what he's given you. I mean, he's only played 32 major league games, but you're hoping he will kind of meet you in the middle and he'll take a little bit less than he might be getting three, four or five years down the line if he ends up being as good as they expect him to be. This, When I saw this, Wolf, my first thought was this is what they have to do. In this division, where the Dodgers can yes. can spend without any sort of repercussions. If they mess yes. up, it doesn't matter. They're printing yep. money. And the Padres are, I don't know how long the Padres can do that, but they're doing it right now. The D-backs have these, this great core of young prospects. They can't let them go anywhere. And it sounds like they're at least trying to go down that path already. Yeah, the Dodgers, they're... <laughs> Their, their salary does not, they don't worry about this stuff. They don't. We sit here and we want, can they afford this guy? Can they actually go out and sign this guy? You, they, the Dodgers don't even care. Their margins are so wide compared to mid-market teams like the yeah, Arizona Diamondbacks. It, it isn't fair. I mean, it's the same it, rant that, that you've had in it's the past. Just, it's ridiculous. It really is. So so much of navigating life, Basinonians, is really about perspective, right? Isn't it? It is. It's about perspective right now. If you're the Arizona Diamondbacks, you have to pursue this now, don't you? Well, You have to pursue this with Corbin Carroll. If you really think he's going to be what he is going to develop into, you have to go ahead and start thinking this way about being proactive and signing a guy long term who hasn't really proven it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what I thought you were going to say is so much of life is stop worrying about what's fair and what isn't and deal in reality. And we can have the debate of why are the Diamondbacks considering themselves at times a small market or mid-market team when there's six million people here and they're all in front sure. of me on the road every time I drive anywhere. But the the reality is, if you're Mike Hazen, you drafted these guys and you're developing them, and it's not just Corbin Carroll. you got to lock them up. This is how yeah. you can win in this division. This is how you can... Your path to success with this team is locking up, drafting well, developing, locking so those guys up. you agree with me. you got to pursue this now. You have to. And here's the thing. If you look at Corbin Carroll and you say, okay, yeah, the guy's played 32 games. He hit 260. Like He was a lot of fun to watch. He, you can see it. You can see that potential there. And obviously, we've been hearing about him for a while before he ever actually made his major league debut. But if you have hesitations, like you're really going to pay that guy? Now, this is an extreme comparison. And I'm not saying he's ever going to turn into this guy, obviously. But Mike Trout's first year, 40 games, he hit 220. I mean, you, you have to, if you're going to try and make a move like this, you have to pay based on. Not just potential, but what you've seen behind the scenes in the minors and as he's developed. And they obviously like what that is. Yeah, and that's, you know, I was going to say so much of life is about perspective. And from the Diamondbacks perspective, yeah, you do want to pursue this. If you're Corbin Carroll, what are you thinking right now? <laughs> so much of it that's is about perspective. And, there, you know, you bring up Mike Trout, you bring that up, and it's totally legitimate to do so. Um Corbin Carroll, are you going to hedge your bet on this one right here? Are you going to bet on yourself? What are you going to? This is I'm fascinated by this question right now, and so much of it has got to do with confidence. Confidence, the confidence the Arizona Diamondbacks have in Corbin Carroll and some of the other young guys as well, but. Right now, our our discussion is focused on Corbett Carroll, and rightfully so, because I think he's the first domino, if you will, to fall 
with these young guys. Yeah. So you're focused on him. How much confidence do you truly have that he's going to develop into the player you think he is? And then think about Corbin Carroll. How much confidence does he have in himself to become the player that he envisioned in his own mind? Yeah, it's like, do you want to get paid now? But just know, four or five years down the line, if you become what they and the, I would assume he believes he can become, you might feel a little underpaid, quote. I mean, you're going to be making millions and millions and millions of dollars. You might feel a little underpaid in four years, but you get that security. You get paid right now. I like the idea of – and I, I – I tend to align a lot of the times with what Mike Hazen is, is doing or trying to do. I like the idea of drafting these young hitters, and they've done that with this outfield. I mean, we could talk about Alec Thomas and Jake McCarthy and some other guys as the season gets closer, but specifically with Corbin Carroll, I like the idea of drafting and developing those players, Drew Jones too, eventually, and committing to them financially, letting other teams develop the young pitchers like they did with Zach Gallen, and then then go get him. Because I just feel like with a young pitcher, if you pay them, there's so much more risk that they may just miss a year or a year and a half or never be the same. And I, to me, I would rather draft and develop and pay the young hitters and go out there and, and pick up the pitchers a few years into their career, which kind of seems like what they're doing, to be yeah. honest. You know what's really cool as well? The new rules that are coming into Major League Baseball right now, based on is they really, they really favor a team where you can run. You got athletes. You got guys that can get the extra base. You got guys that can steal bases right now. Corbin Carroll can. I, I'm just yeah. I, this. This is why I'm so jacked up about this season for the Diamondbacks right now because of the speed of Corbin Carroll, because of the speed of Alec Thomas, because of the speed of Jake McCarthy, because of the speed on the base paths. For the Diamondbacks, and not only that, how good they are in the outfield as well as defenders. Yeah. You know, honestly, it's going to be fun to watch this team come together. I I can't tell you how excited I am. This this is the week, or we're on the verge of the week, and it's gotten lost in the shuffle with the Super Bowl and the Phoenix Open and Kevin Durant, understandably. But this is the week you were talking about four or five months ago of, hey, what's spring training going to be like next year with all this competition? Now, some of it has been alleviated a little bit with Dalton Varsho getting dealt away to Toronto a little while ago. But um, but still, you mentioned the the rule changes and making the bases bigger. Limiting how many times you can throw to first base oh to pick some that absolutely benefits a team the like the D backs. Yeah, uh, here's Derek Hall on with Bickley and Murata this morning talking about changes, uh, what you can do defensively with the shift. I think you're going to see uh, on base go up. You're going to see batting averages yes. go up. And again, teams like ours that like to put the ball on the ground. I mean, these kids know how to make contact. It's only going to help us. I can't tell you for the last couple of years. You know, part of baseball that I loved was being able to hit it back up the box, right back up the middle, and how many. Times Times that turned into a, a six three or a four three, you're like what? That's a base hit, yeah. you know. So now we're yeah, going to see that. Right. We're going to see that yeah. come back, and you're going to see guys hitting the other way now. Not trying to break a shift, but just making contact and and put the ball in play. And good things can happen. It's a good time in Major League Baseball to be fast and have a good defense, and those are two things the Diamondbacks have. And it's as far as the shift because I did pre and post for them a couple games last year when yeah. you're doing pregame and postgame. You have to keep score throughout the game, right? I mean, there were times where it was like, here's a here's a sharp grounder 
to the second baseman, and you're like, oh, wait, that's a, like he just said, oh, that's a 6-3. That was the shortstop playing behind the first baseman. Like, what is going on out right. there? Right, but, you know, I'm so glad they're doing that, too. They're eliminating that. I, I just, it, to me, it drove me nuts. And it drove me nuts, not because of their win the shift, but because the hitter wouldn't try to take it the other way. Well, yeah, why not just bunt? You, you know, I mean, <laughs> why not Rod Carew and slap yeah. that thing the other way? You know, yeah. why would they, they, they wouldn't even, it was like they weren't even trying to do there it. There was like three guys across Major League Baseball that <laughs> seemed to get it. Like, wait, half the field's empty. If I just slap it over there, I can run for a double. I, I love the fact Major League Baseball has made these rule changes and I stand and applaud. The only one I don't like is how many times you can actually throw over to first base. Like how many times you can actually do it. Yeah, what is it, two and then the third two time the guy third gets times the base? It's a ball. Yeah, but that, that, that would in theory, benefit a team like the D-backs. I think they should make the base bigger every three innings. To like <laughs> in the ninth inning, it's just like eight by eight out there, second base. Nobody can even run around it. That's awesome. But don't tell anybody. Just make it bigger and bigger and see who picks up on it first. Uh, coming up next, we're going to take you through the top stories of the day with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.